Well, I'm really glad that you're here tonight. Um, my name is Jack. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, so welcome if you're a guest here with us. A couple, uh, one housekeeping thing before we dive into tonight. Uh, we sent an email blast out this last Friday to everyone who's been a part of Element City Church, friends or family. So maybe you've been a friend for a while, and maybe it's been a little while since you came. I had a couple people email me and say, hey, I'll be there Sunday. So welcome back to those of you who might uh, that fit. And then also, if you consider yourself Element's family, I just want to make sure that you got that email, that you'll check for it. So check your junk mail, because we're cool. We shouldn't be there, but check that. And if you didn't get it, it's because we don't have your information and we should have your information. So you can do take care of all that uh, out at the hub. We just want to make sure we do that every, you know, every four or five months. Uh, we'll send some stuff kind of letting know about the whole fall, everything that's coming up. So tonight we're diving into this series called Freeway, looking at kind of the not so perfect way to find freedom. And I remember a conversation I had with my mother. As I approached home and I, I went in and she was kind of making snacks. It was awesome because she didn't have to work. And so every school day, which, you know, kind of kept me out of trouble too. So every school day I would come home. And then on this particular school day, I'm probably a freshman in high school. And I remember walking up to her and saying, it's just not fair. It's just not fair. And I began kind of laying out everything that happened that day. And I was just, it's just not fair. And my mom looked up with great wisdom and she said these words. To me. Maybe you've heard them. Life's not fair, son. And in that moment, maybe you've heard that phrase, someone has said it to you, someone you love. And you're like, why do you speak such evil and awful things to me? But in that moment, you're kind of split because on one hand, you're like, you're so right. But on the other hand, the emotional part of you is like, this stinks. I hate this. It's just not fair. Life's not fair. And she's right. Life's not fair. Life doesn't always play nice, does it? And we're all kind of recipients of of people and experiences and and situations that maybe didn't go the way you wanted it to go. And and so how do you begin to experience freedom when life's not perfect? And I know the reality is mentally we know, okay, life's not perfect, but we want it to be, right? We, We actually strive to create it to be more perfect tomorrow than it was today. And we put a lot of energy and effort and, and, and dreams into that. But freedom, thankfully, is something that you can experience even when you don't have perfect situations or perfect circumstances or perfect settings. And I think that's what the scriptures are kind of whispering to us. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at this not-so-perfect guide to freedom because the reality is none of us have a perfect life. You may not have the job that you want. You may not have the relationships that you want. You may not have the family that you want. You may, anyone ever able to wear a white shirt and not spill something on it? Nobody. I've never met anybody. And so, like, life's just not perfect. But according to the scriptures and what we're going to look at these next few weeks, uh, we can still taste and experience freedom and the freedom we have in Christ and the freedom God is kind of saying it's available to you through me if you'll just kind of aim your life in this direction. And the first thing we're going to look at tonight is freedom is often, um, where is freedom found? In a lot of ways, we search in a lot of different places to find it. And most of our society, most of kind of our aim is that we have to go searching for it. We have to go search for freedom to either find it in different circumstances or different situations or in this relationship that's maybe non-existent here. We've got to go out here and find it. And we kind of live on this mission to go find freedom. 
especially think back to your teenage years, and some of you are teens, you're there, and, and I bet what you feel is, oh, what I have is so not freedom. I can't wait to have my own car. I can't wait to have my own life, right? I can't wait to be out of this situation. And a lot of people look toward the future me, the future you, right? And you kind of say, that's when I'll find freedom. But the truth is, when it comes to spiritual things, I think freedom's actually a lot closer than we realize. Freedom actually has a lot to do with a homecoming. I don't know if you've ever seen a homecoming before. I'm not talking like your homecoming dance. I'm not talking like the homecoming game growing up in high school type thing. I'm talking about a homecoming like where you've been traveling maybe. And you get to the escalators, you're heading down to baggage claim. And maybe as a parent, you've had this feeling, or, or as a, an aunt or an uncle, and you have family waiting for you. And you come down underneath the, the kind of the, the slope of the ceiling, and your eyes kind of meet them as they're waiting for you. And there's just something about, even from hundreds of yards away, you just see the lights go on. I see it in my kids. I see it in the smiles that start beaming across their face as they're probably thinking daddy brought them something because that's usually the first question is what'd you bring? Um, But it is a sense of homecoming. Maybe you've seen that uh, as a soldier. Maybe if you've served, you've been on a tour and you've come back and just you see people with balloons and signs and they're just welcoming the soldier home. Maybe you've seen that in airports. And there's something about a homecoming scene that just kind of grips your heart. And it takes you into this reality that maybe freedom is a lot closer than we think. See, the plight of humanity was this search of of trying to find something that was actually a lot closer than they even realized. See, God created, and it was perfect. And this is paradise, and it's significance, and meaning, and purpose. And we in humanity said, no, 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 God. Uh, We don't want to do things your way. We got this on our own, thank you very much. And we set out to create our own freedom, and yet all we find is shame and brokenness and hurt and pain. And so God said, I'll let you go. But I'll put in motion a plan. Not just a plan, not a philosophy, but a person. In the person of Jesus, who's going to come on a search and rescue mission for you, for me. Because God's heart, from the very beginning, is about a homecoming. It's about people being reunited with him, relationally connected. Not just something that they know, but something they sense and something they get to experience. And maybe freedom is actually a lot closer than we realize. There's this story that unfolds about this freedom all throughout the New Testament. The plight of humanity and our search for our own freedom, and yet all we find is brokenness. And God putting in a plan through Jesus to bring this back and to create this homecoming where we can have life with God again through Christ. And all throughout the pages of the New Testament, it just gets brighter and brighter and clearer and maybe not as clear outside of Jesus and what he does on the cross and his resurrection than as clear as the stories he tells in Luke 15. And that's where I want us to look tonight. In Luke 15, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you have a phone and you have the YouVersion app, you can follow along all the notes there. Jesus tells this story. In fact, he tells three stories. And you're probably very familiar with this passage if you've been in church for a while. If you're kind of new to church, it's an interesting scenario that sets this up. In fact, Jesus has been teaching, been doing miracles for a long time, and he's kind of on this journey on his way to Jerusalem, and he's got this mission that he knows he's living out, and everyone else is kind of in the you know, fuzzy darkness about it and what exactly is going to happen. 
And there's some interesting dynamics at play with the people who are getting curious about this guy, Jesus. In fact, here's what sets up these whole stories. In Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, here's what it says. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. What you have to understand, tax collectors, sinners, that's like code for like the messy people of life, okay? Those who maybe shouldn't be in God's region, okay? Because religious people would look at those people, okay? Like they may even use those people, that terminology. And they would say, well, they're so far from God, there's no way God could love them. But see, they're hanging around Jesus. And here's what happens, verse 2. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, see, those those are the goody-two-shoes religious people. Those are the ones who have worked really hard to obey the law, to obey the Torah, to understand here's how you work your way toward God. Here's what God demands, so I have to live this way. And see, you can already feel the tension that's building. There's this group of people who are gathering around to hear Jesus because there's something about Jesus that just captures their attention. Their heart, their curiosity is at an all-time high. And the religious leaders, here's what they say. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. Anyone ever muttered before? (laughs) Uh, Probably most often like when your parents were telling you something, and you're like... (laughs) And like that would be Hebrew for I am not listening to you right now. Just whatever you would mutter, right? And you would have some things to say without wanting to be heard, because like that would have other ramifications that you didn't want to. You just you'd mutter. But the teachers and the Pharisees were muttering, "This man welcomes sinners and eats with them." This Jesus guy. There's something about the way he conducts himself. See, the tension that's building is, who is God really? What's he really like? Who can hang around God? Who's welcomed in God's presence? What do you have to do in order to get welcomed into God's presence? What kind of person do you need to be? That's the tensions building. In the words behind the words, that's the scenario that's beginning to play out. And so Jesus tells these stories, three in a row. It's the only time we see in the Gospels, Jesus tells three stories in a row. And Luke records these very strategically. He tells the story of the shepherd who leaves the 99 who are in the pen safely at home to go find the one that's lost. It's this commodity. Livestock would have been a commodity of the day. Something was lost, a commodity, a source of income, and you go and search for it. How many of you would leave the 99 and go search? Well, of course they would. They did, and so the story plays out. And then this, this lost coin gets lost in this house, and it's a valuable coin. It's more than like a quarter for you and I. It's actually probably more than likely one of the ten coins that were maybe part of the dowry or part of the or antique. Think of an antique or a, an heirloom that was lost, and there was only ten of them, and it was valuable, and it was treasured to the owner. And Jesus tells the story of this woman who would tear the house apart to find this heirloom because it not just had value to it, it had sentimental value. It was treasured possession. So commodity and this treasured possession. And then he tells this story that you probably have heard. The story of the lost son. The prodigal son, maybe you've heard it called. 
And tonight, I want us to lean into this, not only for you individually, but church, I, I think for us as a, as a body of Christ, part of the mission of the church, I want us to lean into this again tonight. But I want us to lean in a little bit differently. I could read this story to you. In fact, you could probably retell the story in your own mind. But tonight, I want you to kind of see this in a fresh way. I want you to see two guys who are going to act this skit out on video. One is representing the lost son who's taken off, and one is representing the father. And I want you to see and to feel and to sense what's really going on in the story that Jesus tells. It's a story that's been building, right? This is the third story. And I want, to, want you to see that, experience that, and then I want us to talk about it on the other side. So let's watch this together. Do you ever get tired of your boring day-to-day life? I know I do. I should say that I did. Then I decided to do something about it. You see, conventional wisdom says that you live your life, and then your parents die, and they give you whatever they have left over, an inheritance. (laughs) I'm sorry, that just wasn't good enough for me. So I decided to do something about it, you know? I want my money right now. So one day, I walked right up to my dad, and I said to him, Dad, I want what's coming to me right now. That's what my youngest son said to me. I want what's coming to me right now. All I could think of that moment was, I'd like to give you what's coming to you right now. I brought him into this world, and I can make another one just like him. But he's my son, and I love him. So I gave him his money and told him if he could have a better life on his own without me, so be it. He packed his bags, and the next thing I knew, I was out of there. Kissed this boring place goodbye. I had places to go, people to see. So the first thing I did was, my son got lost. I love him, but he's no Magellan. I heard he had to stop for directions at least four times before he even made it out of our hometown. You know what? No, not four, okay? It was three. And and one of them wasn't even my fault. I, I couldn't understand what the guy was saying. I was just like, okay, thank you. And besides that, The only reason I can't follow directions is because somebody never taught me to follow directions. Don't go there. Okay, look. The point is, I got out of there, and I started to live it up. I mean, I had more friends than I knew what to do with. I was eating like a king. I had the finest clothes, and the ladies... (laughs) What can I say about the ladies? I can say something about the ladies. They were women, but they were not ladies. Okay, okay, you know what? Never mind. The, the thing was, life was good. Until? Until my son's money ran out around the same time a recession hit our country. There, there wasn't any work to be found. I, I mean, I tried. I really tried. But there just weren't jobs. Eventually, I found a job. It wasn't bad. It was a manager's position. It was an associate position at the... Okay, I was a bacon preparation assistant. Which means? I fed pigs. I hated that job. I didn't pay much. I I didn't have enough money for a place to live. There were many days I didn't even have enough money to eat. Sometimes I was so hungry, I would gladly have eaten the disgusting scraps I was feeding the pigs, but I couldn't. They wouldn't let me. So hunger pains is a constant reminder of how I'd squandered everything my father had given me. 
I lived in agony day after day after day after day. I'd watch and I'd wait for my son to come home. And my heart would ache as only a parent's heart could for his own child. But hear me on this. I never gave up on him. I never gave up on him. I knew that it would happen one day. One day it hit me. One day I realized that the lowliest of my father's workers lived better than I did. At least they had a place to live and food to eat. And I didn't have either one of those things. So I wondered, what if he never comes to his senses? What if he lets pride just get in the way? No, no. I will see him again, again and again. These thoughts ran through my head as I began my journey back to my father's house. I knew what I would do. Um, There's no way that I would accept a handout and, and I couldn't expect him to take me back as his son. So I would ask him to hire me on as a worker. I mean, maybe he would do that. Just maybe. Maybe today will be the day that my son will come home. That's what I would say every morning when I'd wake up. Maybe today will be the day that I would see him off in the distance as he makes his way back home. Home. That word means so many things. Comfort, care, security, love, home. I couldn't believe I was just a few hundred yards away from it. It was a beautiful day. I was sitting on my front porch, and that's when I saw him. He stood up out of his chair. He looked in my direction. He squinted his eyes to get a better look at me. And then I began to wonder, what if he doesn't take me back? What if... What if I get to him and he just looks at me and he says, I, I told, told you, you so, so, I told, I told you. you so. Some of you would just roll your eyes every time I mentioned my son. But I knew he would come back. I just knew. I just knew this was a bad idea. I knew I shouldn't have done this and so I just stopped. He just stood there. I couldn't move. I could just stand there so he jumped. My dad literally jumped off the porch. I'd never seen him do anything like that before. It was like he was this little kid who was excited about something. And then it hit me. He was excited about me. So you know what I did next? I, I ran. ran. My heart was pounding so fast, I just had to get to him. I'd never seen him run so fast. He was running at me with his arms stretched out wide as if to say, Welcome home! Welcome, Welcome home. home! That's what I kept shouting to him. But I don't know if he could hear me, so I just kept shouting it over and over. All I wanted to do was just scoop him up in my arms like he was when he was like a little child. And just let him know that everything was going to be okay. And as I got closer to him, I could see tears running down his face. He was crying. Tears of joy. And you know what my son did next? <laughs> I jumped. I, I was nervous i was excited and so i literally jumped and you know what my father did well i fell backwards he's a big boy <laughs> and then and then he hugged me and he embraced me like only a father can i kept saying over and over again i am so sorry i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i don't deserve to be called your son my son is back Get him some clean clothes. Uh, let's give him a meal. No, a feast. For my son will no longer live as an orphan. For all my hopes have come true. I guess it was hope. Hope that made me start that journey back home. Hope that got me through all the miles. A hope that my father would take me back and somehow I could be forgiven. Forgiven? 
It's all forgiven, and I will never bring it up ever again. There is no shame, there is no guilt, for my son was lost, and now he is found. For my son was lost, and now he's found. He was wandering far away, and now he's home. Jesus is telling this story of a homecoming. It would not have played out that way in the minds of those gathered listening to the story. They would have gotten to that part where they were standing distant. When Jesus begins telling the story of a father who would jump off the porch and run to his son, every mind listening to the story would have thought, he's going to get it now. This dad, the one who was rejected, the one who was abandoned, the one who was kind of spit in the face, he's going to give it to his son. And then, this embrace. And then this party. And the groveling that was going to happen, the speech that was prepared, is silenced by the father. In a community that would have rebelled and pushed back against the one who abandoned in the first place, is put to shame by a father who says, Welcome home. Welcome home. Friends, you have to understand the tension that would have been in this moment. Why was Jesus telling these stories? I think Jesus looked around. And I think he looked around at people who were gathering and trying to get close and trying to maybe get an understanding of what is, how do I begin to live the spiritual life and aim my life in direction toward God and looked at these other folks who had said they thought they had figured it out of what they needed to do in order to get God to like them. And I think Jesus looked at this scenario of the tension and said, you're both wrong. This is about welcoming home. If you want to know what the Father's really like, let me, let me tell you what He's really like. He's like this shepherd that, that cares for the sheep, and when one is missing, He notices. They're not a number to Him. They're known. They're valuable, and He searches for them to find them, and He brings them home. And when one coin, this coin that represents this life, is lost, he rips everything apart in order to find it. It's of the highest importance to him. He's like this father who gives the son what he asks for. Not here to force you. You're not a robot. I want this relationship to work, but you've got to choose it. But I want you to know I'm going to be on the porch looking every day. I told you so. I told you so. And then listen to these words. This had to shock this audience of people. Verse 20. So he got up and he went to the father. The son's making his way home. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with criticism. Nope, that's not what it says. His father saw him and was filled with critique. Nope, that's not what it says. His father saw him and was filled with what? Compassion. 
His father was filled with compassion, and he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And before the son could ever even get out a few sentences of his prepared speech, he's silenced by the compassion of the father, who loves to throw parties, who loves to say, welcome home, welcome home. You want to know what the father's really like? He's like this, Jesus says. What's fascinating, we always think of prodigal meaning wayward, someone who goes astray. That's typically what we think of. But one of the definitions for prodigal is reckless spendthrift. It fits with the son who is a reckless spendthrift of all the money he took from the father. But reckless spendthrift also fits for the father's actions. Timothy Keller wrote probably one of the best books I've ever read about the prodigal son, and he called it The Prodigal God. A God who is a reckless spendthrift with his grace. And his grace is reckless, and it doesn't make sense. And it's extravagant. And it's unearnable. Yet he lavishes it on those who come home. You want to know what God's really like? Jesus tells some stories. God is a reckless spendthrift with his grace. I know some of you are like, well, the elder son. You know, he's got some opposition to this. Yeah, that's another sermon for another day. They're both wrong. Jesus is trying to point out the radical alternative here. It's not about wasting your life and you're too far gone for God to help you. Nor is it about trying to stay so close and be in the proximity of the Father by being so good. Because you're never good enough. The Father is just looking for sons and daughters who will say, I just want to come home. And the Father says, welcome home. It's not about your effort. It's not about your energy. I just want to be relationally connected with you, and I've got enough to make that happen for everybody. Welcome home. Isn't that what Paul is talking about? He writes these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, not setting up a day of reckoning in a sense of you can't get to God unless you reckon enough. You did this much, so now you've got to do one bit more in order to get right. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Who's the us? It's you. It's me. It's the church. Friends, the application for tonight is really simple. Very simple. Freedom is found in coming home. In giving up the search for it on your own. And if you really want to taste the freedom God has for you, it starts with coming home. It starts with living at home with that grace and with that forgiveness and with that mercy, not trying to earn it, but just living and basking in the beauty of what you've been given. Welcome home. The party's going. 
Do you want to settle for the proximity of the Father and just be outside in the grounds? Or do you actually want to be in the presence of the Father because he's throwing a party and you're welcome if you'll come in? That's the point of the story. Those who are muttering are in proximity, but they're not in the presence of. And there's a giant difference. The application for the church maybe is threefold. I think it's this. We need to become a people who have the Father's focus, who have the Father's heart, and who create the Father's home. We need to be the church, friends, that has the Father's focus, that's an external, outward focus, looking at the horizon of people who are wandering and who are lost and who are wishing for something different and maybe never feel that they can come home, that they're not worthy to come home. You're not. None of us are. But we're still welcomed home. And so the Father's focus needs to be ingrained within us. So often in the church, it becomes an internal focus, doesn't it? It becomes internal. We focus in on ourselves, and it's about us, and it's about sheltering from the world. And friends, we are the light of the world. Light has to shine. It makes a difference in darkness when it does. In the church, we need to become a people who have the Father's focus, who say, I'm going to look for opportunities. You know, our whole mission, Brandon mentioned it at the beginning, is inviting people into a life-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus. Everything we do is about that. And the moment we stop and make it about anything else, we're losing and becoming unfocused from what the Father's focus is on. We need to have the Father's focus who says, how can I love? How can I care? How can I show in tangible, practical ways that people matter to God? That the people in your relational connections, that they can know in and through the way you interact with them, that God actually knows their name, actually cares about them. And if they've ever wanted to taste actual freedom in life, real freedom, not pseudo freedom, but real freedom, is maybe they ought to have their hearts turned toward home. And how do we help them do that? We need to have the Father's heart. We need to become people who say, I want to have the Father's heart, and the way I interact is graceful, and it's grace-giving, and it's life-giving to people. Listen, grace costs. It may be free, but it costs the people who give it. It just does. It costs Jesus everything. And it will cost the church to be people who express grace to a hurting and wandering world. It will have a cost to it. But there's nothing in our hearts. If our hearts are becoming more and more like the Father's heart, there's nothing that says that's a bad investment. In fact, everything in that says, I want to give more. I want to give more of my energy, more of my time, more of uh, my abilities to get the Father's heart out for people to see and to interact with and to experience and to taste and see that God is good. And that maybe there's some hope as their hearts begin to turn toward home. So maybe the question is this. Are you more compassionate this year than you were last year? That may be a better indicator of spiritual maturity 
than anything else. Because the father's heart was filled with what? Compassion. You want to know what God's really like? Let me tell you a story, Jesus says. A heart of compassion is a must to be more like the Father. Now listen, we can be people of conviction. Convictions don't eliminate or exclude compassion from existing or being expressed. But compassion has to be expressed to have the heart of the Father. And to create the Father's home, the church must be a place where people can experience a love that they cannot experience anywhere else on this planet. Church, we need to keep working that we can create the spiritual home like that. Don't you want to be a part of a home like that? I do. I want Element City Church to be that kind of home for people who are far from God, who begin to turn in His direction, to know that God knows their name, that they are loved by God, they can be forgiven, and they can have a fresh start at home, and the party's going, and they're invited. Because when they get in the presence of the Father, He does some great changing of things, doesn't He? But it's not about being in the proximity of God. It's about being in the presence of God. And we've got to create a home where people can feel home. Where they can belong, maybe even before they believe. That they can sense that there's a home. William uh, Temple was a a bishop of Canterbury way back in the 1800s, he said this, the church is the only organization that does not exist for itself, but for those who live outside of it. We exist for those who are not home yet with God. That's our mission, inviting people in. See, the church has a mission to fulfill, and it has an objective to accomplish. Many people who have been in church circles for a while talk about discipleship and evangelism. And there's sometimes these two camps. And the reality is when you read through Scripture, they're one camp. It's discipleship and evangelism. It's go and make disciples. It's both and, not either or. And the church needs to be a home where both and can happen. And that's our role, to create a home to invite people into that. Inviting people into a life-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus. The very first word, inviting. I really want to drill down on this. If we're going to be a people that have the Father's focus and have the Father's heart and are working to create a Father's kind of home in our church, then that means that we become passionate about inviting. You cannot have the Father's focus and the Father's heart and work in creating the Father's home and not want to share that and not want to invite people to it. And so who can you invite? That's the question. And I know for some of you, like, whoa, okay, that's... Now you're asking me to step out. Yes. Yes. I want you to have the Father's heart. I want you to have his focus, and I want you to help create the Father's home. And when you do that, it will begin to create in you a desire for people who are wandering to maybe turn in the direction of coming home. Who do you know? Who do you know around your kids' activities or around your kids' teams? Who do you know at the gym or the restaurant that you go to all the time? Who do you know in your neighborhood or at your workplace? Who do you know in the stores that you frequent? Maybe you should start going in the same aisle checkout every single time. Why? 
because you're doing it with purpose. I'm getting to know. Because who I know is who I invite. That's how the church has moved forward. The church is to be this movement of Jesus. God's reckless grace is our greatest hope. It's your greatest hope. You needed him to have this reckless spendthrift of grace. I needed him to. And it's our greatest hope. And as we live in the shadow of that, we get to invite other people into the party. Because that's home. That's where the party is. And it's this notion that we get to bring people back. It's come home to God, the God who awaits you. It's learning to live at home. Here's another question for you. So often, sometimes people will will trust Christ with their life, and then they try to work for his grace. Can I just ask you, are you allowing yourself to be loved by the one who loves you the most? Grace is life-giving. It's reckless in nature. It's life-changing for people. Don't work for it. Live in it. You're welcomed home into the party. And now that you're in the presence of God, you can do some things together. And he can work on some things. But it's not about trying to earn and stay in the party. You're already in. That's the beauty of it. Friends, I I want us to be a church that has the Father's focus and that has the Father's heart and is creating the Father's kind of home here at Element City Church. I want that for the church in the city of Tucson and for the church around the world. Because one day Jesus said, you want to know what the Father's like? Let me tell you some stories. And he tells these stories that would have shook the people who heard him in the day. And I wonder if it needs to shake the people of the church today in a fresh and new way that we might have the Father's focus and not keep the focus in on ourselves. So here's a simple question. Who do you know? Are you praying for people who aren't connected to God? In your, in your circle, your influence, in your realm of life, does it even cross your mind? Would you pray for it? Maybe that's the first step. Would you begin to pray, God, would you give me the Father's heart? Grace cost. It cost to give people grace, but it's worth it because the Father's, his heart's like that. And I just want to be more and more like my daddy. I just want to be more and more like that. And I'm willing. And the church needs to become this home for people. Now, you can't do this story and you can't tell this sermon without getting to a place right now to say to some of you, maybe you've been walking in the proximity of God for a while. Maybe you have got invited here and like, this is your second time and you're like, Oh, I'm so new to church. Awesome. Glad you're here. Keep coming. But I would be remiss if I didn't offer an opportunity for you to come home tonight to say to take Jesus up at his word now you've seen the father's focus it's you and now that you know the father's heart it's compassion towards you and now that you know that he has a home that he's inviting you to into would you want to start a relationship with him 
It's really a simple step. In fact, the Bible talks about it in a couple different ways. I'll look at it from maybe a famous verse since it's NFL kickoff weekend. Maybe you've seen John 3.16 held up at the signs, right, at, at, at the games, and it says John 3.16. Let me just tell you what that is. It's, For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him, trust in him, kind of put their trust in him, would not perish but have everlasting life, life with God, now and eternal. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it, but rather to save it through him. That's John three sixteen and 17. In essence, it's this. God loves you, so God gave to you. He gave Jesus. And if you believe, you get to receive life with God. That's the gospel. In the simplest and most profound way I can say it. And so here's the invitation I'm going to give you. Uh, we're going to have a time of communion here in a moment, and we're going to have a moment uh, where we're going to sing some worship. And here's what I'm inviting you to, church. I'm inviting all of us to own this, to say, I don't find my freedom out and about, wandering in ways trying to find it. I actually find my freedom when I just decide to come home and to live at home with God. And if you're here tonight, and you've never actually started a relationship with God, you've kind of been in proximity around God, uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity in a second just to pray your prayer right along with me. And we're not going to do it silently in your seat. No one's going to make fun of you or anything. But I'm going to give you an opportunity just to say, tonight, tonight's my night to come home. And I want to start that. And then while we do communion, as we do worship, I'm going to invite you to maybe come see me. I've got a Bible I'd love to give you. And I want to talk to you about getting baptized next week. And so I'm telling you everything that's going to happen. So there's no strangeness to it. There's no weirdness to it. Here's what's going to happen, okay? And so in a moment, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask you to pray along with me. For you who, are, who have come home, you've started a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray for somebody. Who do you know that you can invite? And I want you to take a moment and actually pray for them. Right there in your seat. Pray for them by name. That maybe their heart would begin to turn in the direction of the Father who says, Come on home. Come on home. My grace is enough for you. And so, we're going to take a moment. I just ask you to pray. And I, and I close your eyes right where you're at. And if you um, tonight want to take that first step, we talk about inviting people into this life-giving, life-changing relationship. Life-giving is just this first step. I start a relationship with Jesus. The scriptures, there's no magical things about the words I'm going to say or this prayer I'm going to invite you to pray. It's just actually picking a moment to say, I'm putting my trust in Jesus. And so I'm just going to invite you right now to pray with me. And the rest of us are going to pray on our own. So you can pray silently in your heart. You can whisper it out loud if you want. But if that's you tonight, you want to come home and start a relationship with Jesus, just repeat this with me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you pursue a relationship with me. that you think I'm worth searching for. And tonight, I want to come home. I choose to put my trust the best I know how in your life, Jesus, in what you did on the cross and your resurrection for me. Come into my life. Lead me moving forward.
Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for letting me come home. Amen. We're going to take communion here in a moment. And uh, I really mean this. If you prayed that with me, uh, we're not asking for a show of hands or anything, but here's what I'm going to invite you to. We've got communion in two songs. So 10 minutes, okay? Where I'm going to invite you to either come see myself or Brian. And we're going to be in the back corners of either side, left or right. And I've got a Bible. We've got a Bible we'd love to give for you just to celebrate with you a little bit. Because uh, we're a church that wants to live out our mission. Inviting people home. Inviting people into life with God. And church, I'm just going to encourage us as we take communion, as you sing these songs, would you just pray for yourself and for your church that we would be a people who welcome many home to life with God. So let's take communion now and we'll worship here in a moment.